think something that's really important is is regular periods of self-reflection, right? Looking into ourselves and then um, when we do notice, when we do notice that condition that we've placed on ourselves or that was placed on us that we've now uh, taken on, we've got options. Get help with that. Go to therapy. That can be some regular self-care that we do. Welcome to Black Kings Connect podcast, where we connect, empower, and uplift by providing a space to talk about the Black experience. We cultivate down-to-earth, honest, and real conversations to shatter the myth that Blackness is monolithic. Through this space, we hope that you learn something new, find truth to your voice, and especially have conversations with friends, family, and colleagues alike as we dive into some great dialogue. In season one of Black Kings Connect podcast, we begin this journey by talking through different topics that run through the minds of those who identify as Black. We attempt to unravel the complexities of our own experiences with the help of several individuals in our circles. With that being said, welcome to season one of Black Kings Connect podcast, the mindset of Blackness. Hey everybody, it's your boy Nick. Um, James is actually tied with family obligations due to graduation weekend. We're celebrating definitely the 2021 graduates. But today's episode, we're actually talking a little bit about mental health. So something a bit heavier, but also light because we want to create an atmosphere and a space in which we can talk openly about how not just mental health impacts us on a day-to-day basis, no matter who you are, but especially how does it tie to Black identity and the development of it. So to help us in this discussion, we welcome Ms. Zakia Pollard, a really old friend of mine from UVA. Welcome, Zakia. Glad to have you. Um, and tell us a little bit about Thank yourself. You. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so I am a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I have been working, mm, let's say, in the mental health substance abuse counseling field for about five years. Um, I graduated from the University of Pennsylvania with my counseling degree. Uh, Currently, I own a counseling practice that is virtual only uh, in the state of Pennsylvania. And yeah, I spend most of my time either doing that or taking care of my one-year-old. So busy. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. I I know that 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 one-year-old phase, the one to three-year-old phase is where there's a lot of energy, a lot of curiosity. Um, Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, sweet, well, sweet. So just to sort of get things kicked off in the right way, I I definitely want to do something a little bit fun. Um, So here's a little icebreaker. What is your favorite animal and how does it relate to who you are? That is tough. Um, recently I've been so, I've become so into nature that it's hard for me to be like, I'm into this, this one animal. Um, but I'll say birds. I've been Hmm. really interested in cardinals. Um, I guess because of their bright color, their beauty, um, 
And then I just love the fact that birds can fly. There's something about that, being able to kind of escape the bounds of gravity, you know? Interesting. That's deep. <laughs> I mean, that, we, have a, we have a pair in our yard who I call Mr. and Mrs. Cardinal. And <laughs> they're the highlight of my day. <laughs> I, I can relate, you know, because mine is actually a wolf. Um, not Ooh. for the atypical um, sort of lonely, you know, alone, solo, but it's more of the community aspect. That's just been yeah. like, uh, my biggest piece is the community because I really, I, I think wolves are so intuitive about the pack mentality of we look out for our own, we look out for each other. It's not just about the one, it's about the whole. And that's just how I function. So I, I, can, I can relate. It's that freedom in, in, the, in the unity. I guess that, that's sort of how I connect to it. Yeah. So... But, but cool. So let's really just, just dive in, honestly. Um, okay. So the first question I really want us to start to unpack is really, I think what we've seen all year um, and really over the years is that a lot of people have been battling different things internally and externally. And especially with COVID happening, uh, with the political and social landscape, people are recognizing I'm not whole. So I wonder, what does it really mean to be whole? What is that? How can we really define that? Because I don't think we've ever, anybody's ever really unpacked what that means in, in society and for us personally. What do you think that means to you? Mm. Um, it's definitely something that each individual person has to define. But I think we all have similar if I can say holes to fill, you know? Mm. Um, you know, when I think about that question in, in terms of the black community, I think a lot of intergenerational trauma and trauma caused by our ancestral history um, makes it difficult for us to feel whole, makes it difficult for us to take care of ourselves, makes us think that we actually should just be strong and not even feel pain even when we are in pain, even when we've been hurt. So wholeness, I'd say, requires vulnerability, requires us to say, you know what, I can be hurt. And when I get hurt, I need to find help for myself. Uh, wholeness requires self-awareness, awareness of what's going on for you internally, um, and having the, the bravery, the strength and courage to seek out assistance, get that help. Mm. You know, that, that's, that's deep, especially when you said like there's like multiple holes. I started thinking of how as we go through life, we acquire, I don't even say that we, we, we wear different hats, we acquire multiple hats. And the challenge is everybody's looking for how do I find balance between all those hats that I'm wearing. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a daughter, I'm a son, I'm a parent, I'm a sibling, I'm a grandchild, I'm a doctor, uh, I'm a therapist. I, I'm, I'm, I'm every, there's so many different hats we, we acquire and there's, each one requires a different kind of wholeness or, or different kind of level of fulfillment that like to your point of the self-awareness of like, if I put on the hat of sun, what makes me feel full when I put this hat on, when I'm interacting with my family with this hat on? Or as a parent, as a wife, or as a husband, 
what helps me feel fulfilled in this role of the hat that I'm wearing in this moment. Um, and, and that intentionality, because um, when I hear vulnerability, I, I hear sort of a duality. Of it. I hear like there's an external you know, vulnerability that you were mentioning, but there's also sort of an internal vulnerability that I, I feel like we don't tap into enough. Um, like we, we sort of shy away from it. What, what causes that? Hmm. I think a lot of it is learned. Hmm. You know, a lot of us have learned that we have to put on this air of strength, hmm. right? And hide things to the point where we're not just hiding them from other people, but we're hiding them from ourselves. Hmm. And a lot of the time, you know, we're not whole, but we're kind of like, if you can imagine a, one of those little slap shot jobs of plumbing where you're just like, okay, let's put these paper clips and some tape and staple it and do it like that. That's kind of what we're doing. We're like holding ourselves together, you know? And so allowing ourselves to be aware that we are vulnerable breaks that apart. It's almost like a like patchwork. Um, yes think a lot of like how my grandmother <laughs> so my grandparents are from my grandmother's from Mississippi um starts from Mississippi and she would sew everything and still does to this day she would knit hats she would knit shirts and everything of that nature and when we think about like the patchwork like we take I feel like the moment that we're born there's sort of a purity to like who we are and then when we sort of get ingrained into society or whatever environments that are designed to influence the base or the foundation of who we are, there's things that are great, but there's also pain that comes from that. And it creates broken glass or broken pieces. Mm. But we try to figure out what tools can help us patch ourselves back together. But we often don't know what those tools are when we're young and we're still going through experiences early. Um, and I feel like there's some there's somewhat of a unhealthy relationship that we have with ourselves that gets cultivated um, or or learned as you had mentioned of how we handle brokenness that prevents the vulnerability of self with ourselves and also with others. Yeah, absolutely. So, That's right. what has for you as you as you've gone through life so far? What has been a challenging moment with you as you're sort of getting yourself to the wholeness that you desire or aspire to? Mm. <clears throat> I think a lot of it is getting in my own way. Mm. You know, um, for a long time, I remember being feeling alone and then also feeling like there's no one I can call there's no one I can turn to even if there was a community of people friends family members all these people I could you know lean on thinking in my mind at that moment when I felt down and low that I can't like I can't talk to them about this you know? so a lot of that was this perceived aloneness and lack of support. Um, what else would I say? That, that's a big issue 
Um, I guess what has what has helped though? Um, at this point, I also kind of when you're a therapist, I think you give a lot of help to other people that you don't necessarily take yourself. Right? You're like. Mm-hmm use your, use your um, coping skills. And you're like, here's the meditation, here's a grounding technique and all these great ideas. And then you go and you're, you know, you're in all your roles, as you mentioned, of wife and daughter and, and mother, and you're burnt out, you know, mm. and you forget that all of those techniques you tell other people about, you should be using yourself. Mm. It's difficult. I get that. It's like, it's like a different kind of weight. Cause I've felt that too, of, especially when it's, it's like, whether you, you work in a profession, which you're helping people or you are just naturally the kind of person that's just a helper that likes helping solve problems um, or that people can easily trust to confide in. It's like when you're the one that's the most trusted, it's hard to, when you are finally by yourself to really trust yourself to be that mm. that vulnerable um, in your essence and in in all the things that you don't like. Like I've, I've challenged. I know, like for me growing up, I found challenges with like how I looked at my body, how I looked at mm. you know whether I feel worthy. Um, all the exterior things everybody sees is like, wow, you're phenomenal. But the same voice that I hear on the outside is not the same one I hear on the inside. And a lot of it is just like, how do you measure self-worth how do you uh how do you battle those voices as you're also trying to acquire more hats but also balance them um how do you turn some off because it's really hard to turn off especially when it's ones that when it sort of has that where other people are relying on you like i know for you being a parent it's like when your child when your daughter looks at you and you know it's like wow i can't let her down because she's looking for me to to be the best that I can possibly be so I don't have a space to just be weak or to be vulnerable or to be small I have to be strong constantly and like when you get used to that habit when it's time and you finally have the space to be vulnerable it's hard to take the hat of strength off to let yourself just let your hair down you know what I mean? And I felt that throughout, I mean, especially at UVA, gosh, um, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's really hard. And even being Black nowadays, it's, and being a Black male especially, it's, it's felt weird to try to be, to try to allow myself to, to, to show my weakness, um, mm. if that makes sense. It definitely does. It definitely does. It's interesting because I had a similar conversation with a friend um, about being a person of color navigating predominantly white spaces. We feel like we have to put our best self forward. Otherwise, we'll be judged based on what we look like. You know, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure, um, but that's definitely a shared experience. That's you know, true. Like I can't be vulnerable. I can't be any of these negative stereotypes that people might assume about me because then they'll think that the stereotype is true. 
and you know, it's so, I don't know if you've seen the series Scandal, but there was a scene where um, Olivia Pope, aka Carrie Washington, has with her father, and she's in the spotlight right now. Okay, she's connected mm-hmm. to the President of the United States. There's a scandal going on um, about her being his mistress and everything like that. And her father is like, I need to get you out of here. And she's like, No, I'm going to stay. And he says, What have I always taught you? You have to be what? Twice as good. He said, I didn't hear you. You have to be what? Twice as good to get half of what they have. And as I, as thinking about what you had said earlier of just the environment and just even the trauma from past or ancestral experiences, you think about just how it's not just being black, but especially nowadays, there's more opportunity for African-Americans, for Africans in the US where we're getting degrees, we're in prominent industries that normally we would have been shut out from. But because the environments aren't conducive for us to just be in ourselves, in our whole full black authentic selves, we take the mindset of we can't slack off. Like my 100% is still seen as less than somebody's 50% who identifies as white. And that's just a social construct, unfortunately. And oftentimes the challenge is, is it just me making things up in my own mind of, man, I'm limiting myself, but more so it's, I just can't afford to not be 100% present in every opportunity. Like even working at UVA, I felt that in the presence of, I'm ambitious. I have goals, I have dreams, I have aspirations, but in order for me to get considered for a raise or for promotion or elevation in an environment where I'm one of maybe, you know, one out of the 7% of African-Americans that work at the university. It's it's challenging, it's frustrating, especially when you're looking at leadership positions and everything of that nature. How have you navigated that yourself um, in your career so far, um, in your experiences, especially post, post, you know, undergraduate and and, and graduate work? Mm. Um, What's interesting is that for me, I guess I've had a, a different kind of career journey. You know, when I was in, like after I graduated, I got married to a Marine, right? And so I was going around wherever he was stationed and couldn't find a job and didn't really start working until I went back to where I graduated from in Philly. And Philadelphia is really, it's its own place. Okay, I, this exact friend that I was talking to and I worked together in Philadelphia, we had so many clients of color. Maybe that's a negative thing also because we were working in substance use, but um, it also put us in the position of not being in that type of space. And it wasn't until I moved to New York and worked there that I was in an environment where there were a lot of people who were different from me. So it was unusual. That was unusual, like switching to that. Um, In that space, I guess, I, I feel a lot of the time because I'm not really used to being around any type of racial issues, 
when something comes up, I feel like I, uh, I'm in freeze mode, you know, in terms of fight, fight, or fight, flight, or freeze. I think I'm in freeze where I don't really know how to respond. You know, I'm just trying to be my authentic self. And then if something happens, that's outside of my realm of understanding. I'm like, Oh, you know, and so I think what I want people to understand is that even as a therapist, I find myself on my own journey, trying to learn how to navigate spaces. You know, I had an experience recently where I was at a park with my daughter and some, a little girl was next to us on the swing and said, uh, the mother was talking about my baby. She was like, oh, it's a baby. And the little girl said, she's black. And I didn't say, I didn't say anything. I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, she is black, you know, but it was one of those moments where I had to look back and say, oh, you know, that could have been a moment where I said something, you know, it's, it's hard, really. Mm. Yeah. Because we're not really, I think we're kind of taught more so to shrink back than to speak out. Just like what you said in, in that example from Scandal, we have to work twice as hard or we also have to just kind of be silent. I think mm. that's something that we're taught. And, and see, I wonder, I've always wondered if it's because as we look at sort of identity, um, intersectionality of identity, and especially Black identity, because of the, as you said, there's, there's foundations and layers of trauma that are often triggering, um, but also suppressive to to wholeness to the wholeness of Black identity in America, especially because it's not necessarily a consistent environment um, to where African Americans, Africans can be 100% authentically themselves because race is always a part of the conversation and dialogue. And I wonder if it's because as we talk about identity performance, I guess the best analogy I've looked at is like, I don't know if you've ever seen The Flash. Uh, I'm a DC fan, also a Marvel fan. <laughs> I've seen it because my husband is a, also a nerd. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, Barry Allen as The Flash, he, he has an ability where he constantly can fissure himself or move himself at such a fast pace that allows himself to move through objects. And I feel like Blackness is, operates in that same way in that we're mm. constantly fissuring, never settled, uh, because mm. the spaces that we're constantly entering and exiting, it, it doesn't, it's not designed for us to be solid. It's designed for us to constantly perform a certain shade of our blackness that mm. allows us to really survive or feel authentically present in that moment. But then it's almost like, um, like when I go to work, when I would go to work at UVA, I would have to put on a certain shade of my blackness. But then when I come home, I take the suit off. I, you know, I put on the sweatpants, the sweatshirt, and I can just be me, you know. But if I go outside in the world in Charlottesville, I can't, I have to wear a nice pair of, you know, shoes, a nice pair of jeans and a shirt because of the, the fear that there are people in that area that don't view me as a person. Yes. But then I'm here in Richmond, and it's a very different environment to where it's a lot more diverse. It's bigger. It's a city. And so when I'm at VCU, the first thing I noticed was like, I don't have to trade off my blackness because the space of where I'm at 
because I see more people that look like me. I don't have to trade off the kind of shade of blackness that I had to do in Charlottesville or at UVA. And so I feel like we're constantly in this fissuring state where we're never fully settled. We're constantly trading the pieces of our identity that can be acceptable or the matching puzzle piece to that specific environment. Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes the subconscious mind, it, it makes us feel like, wow, I feel great. But then when I really start getting to that introspection and getting vulnerable, it's like, wow, I don't feel like myself. I feel like I am having imposter syndrome and it feels, I don't know. It's like the freezing, it's like the paralysis. It's like, why do I feel, I don't feel, I still don't feel like myself. I'm performing my blackness, but why do I not still feel like me? Does that make sense? That is one of the things that makes the most sense that I have ever heard. I mean, you, you referenced some shows and I don't know if you've seen Big Mouth, Oh, yes. You know, there is a scene in Big Mouth where the Black character or one of the Black characters sings this song and he's got all these different versions of himself and it's so real and so true and relatable. Um, it's been said so many times that we put on so many different masks depending on the space that we're in. You know, and it's interesting because sometimes I felt that even among other people of color, even among other Black people, I really have. Even there, I felt like I still need to put on a different mask. I get that. I get that. And, and I think it's because I felt that, too, of, of like, if, okay, I'm from D.C., and if you are smart, perceived smart or, or, or academically, oh, now you start, you're trying to be a smart Negro, you know? Okay. Okay. Now we can't consider you black enough. So now you are white. And yeah. thing is, 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 I would get that from white peers going to a private school, probably white private school in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, Cause I remember when a, a, a good friend of mine I played football with for seven years, uh, white dude out of nowhere he didn't get into uva i did he said oh you got in because you're black that's the only reason that i can justify why i didn't get in and you got it but then at the same time even at uva being black if you aren't a, an athlete at the university you're considered other you're considered not sort of the, the cool or the the trendy Kind of performance of blackness you sort of feel like the other um and you never feel like you fit in and you realize how that impacts how much confidence you have in yourself but most importantly how much confidence you have in the authentic self because even when you present your authentic self you feel that imposter syndrome. You don't feel like it's really the true version of yourself because all the environments in which you're supposed to feel comfortable being you don't accept you for you. And that's whether it's a predominantly black, you know, environment or it's, you know, or it's a non-predominantly black environment. It's it's again, it's that constant fissuring. Uh, and I think we're always seeking 
that space to where we don't have to fission. We can fully be solid. Mm. But because it's hard, we've never really found that that true space that is like our Garden of Eden per se. It deteriorates the internal self or the, the mentality of, well, you know what? I don't know me. This makes me really sad. This makes me feel like mm. I'm constantly alone, even though I'm in the presence of others that I value being around, but I just don't feel full. Yes. yes. I mean, I think that's a big part of why, why that continues generation after generation is because we learned that in order to feel comfortable, we have to change ourselves. Then we teach our children that and they teach their children that and it just continues. Who would we be if we decided I'm going to be my authentic self and if they don't accept me there, they don't get me. Mm-hmm. 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 And you know, when you think about it too, you know, the saying broke people, broken people hurt broken people or hurt people hurt hurt people. Mm as I sort of look at even like my family dynamics of like, as me and my family, we all have our own conversations about black identity, about mental health and everything like that. Mm-hmm. My grandma comes from an old school way. Um, I come from a you know Christian faith foundation and especially in the church, mental health is considered taboo. Um, it's like, okay, if you depressed, you got the devil and you, you need to, you need to, there's something wrong with you. You know, mm-hmm. you just, you know, Get over it. Just get over it. You can't be a Christian and, and be depressed. That doesn't make any sense. That didn't create you to be depressed. Um, and oftentimes I found conflict because I'm like, yes, I'm battling depression because I'm trying to just find wholeness. And I know for me, it's, it's, I've had to develop my relationship, my own relationship with God and helping my faith has been so important for my own healing, my constant healing, but we're just not taught or given the space enough to have that consistency in healing. Um, Cause I know my brother has gone through his own battles. My sister has, my mom has, my dad has, everybody in my family has had their own battles with their mental health. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes when we go through those moments, a lot of it is really, it's a lone journey because nobody knows what goes on online or the words you speak to yourself or things of that nature and nobody just feel oftentimes people just don't feel like there's other people who can truly understand Mm. or have the patience really that is the patience of that journey um and I think that's why we sometimes become recluse or we shrink back because if we try to be the person that goes from being strong to now I need to lean on somebody if somebody tells you just get over it, or I don't have time to listen, or I don't want to listen, just figure it out. Once somebody does it that you value, they're like, okay, if, they, if somebody I highly value doesn't want to help me or just be a listening ear through the situation, what's the point of me opening up to anybody else that I trust, that I'm supposed to trust? Yes, yes. I mean, oh. 
black mental health has been non-existent for a long time. I think it's really only now that it's starting to pick up more that black people are seeking out mental health therapy and you know the the role of religion is a part of that um and also you know learning from our elders not to seek out mental health therapy a lack of understanding of what therapy is a lack of trust for the same reason that african-american black people don't trust medical professionals right because we haven't always gotten the right treatment you know sometimes we've been misdiagnosed or not believed or we said we felt pain you know oh black people are stronger in some way so no you don't have anything nothing's wrong with you you're fine right um that's why a lot of people seek out a therapist who is black who has who veil belief has some form of understanding of what they go through and that is really helpful actually to seek out a therapist with a similar experience um but end of the day i think that's why something like this where you know you talk more about mental health and you kind of normalize getting help is so important because for so long it has not been normalized so true it's almost like recreating the culture um, of healing because often for us we as a culture especially as a black culture or black community we've tried to find healing in performance so oftentimes pouring into the arts pouring into passions um, pouring into other relationships and everything like that and in many ways I found it, even for me, like cooking has always been like my, that's been my, my therapy. When I say food therapy, it's been my therapy. If I'm exhausted, if I'm mentally drained, nine times out of 10, I'm cooking like crazy. Um, because when I go in my creative mode, at least it's a space where I feel like I have some kind of control despite the chaos that's mentally going on. Um, it's where I feel like I, I understand or I can see myself, where I feel the most valued. Um, the most whole in my in my in my essence um but i wonder how we can move beyond just actions of doing profession and doing trying to kind of do it just performing move from that to like authentic and quality healing because i think we have healing we're, we're pursuing it, but I don't think we're doing it as intentionally and consistently as we need to. Uh, because like I said, cooking can only do so much. If there's a chance where I can't cook and then I go through a moment, how do I get myself back to center? Because mm -hmm. again, it goes back to, as you mentioned, there's multiple holes that we're managing. And so while one hole I'm fulfilling with the cooking, but there's another whole self that's unfulfilled. And in many ways it can eclipse all the work I'm doing in one area. So how do you find balance? What are ways that we can do that? Um, I think 
two things. One is it's important to have those things like cooking or, you know, whatever it might be for people taking a run, yoga, meditation, whatever it might be. That's important to have that, those effective strategies that you can use in the moment. And then it's also important to explore the reason why you're having that issue in the first place. Uh, There's a need for closure, I'd say. I mean, a lot of us are walking around with a gaping wound, which is how I see it in in terms of trauma or whatever it might be that's keeping us from becoming our best selves. And we have to look at that wound, right? We can put a Band-Aid over it, sure. The Band-Aid is like cooking for you, right? But if we don't actually look at what hurt you in the first place? And I think for me, I think what's important is also to consider what came from that injury. Like uh, how have your thoughts about yourself and the world changed as a result of that injury? Are those thoughts true now? Are they helpful? Are they kind? And if not, then we have to change those thoughts. We have to change the way that you're viewing that moment of injury and the way that you view yourself and the world since then. It's basically getting to the root cause. Um, Because oftentimes the easiest thing for us to do is is just go towards the surface causes. So like if we don't feel like like, I'm just not like, there, there's a point that everybody gets to, to where they look at their life and like, there's a lot of great things in my life right now, but I'm just not happy. Why am I not happy? I should be happy. And oftentimes we, we look at all the surface level things, like, okay, the relationships, I'm busy. I'm wearing these hats, everything's flowing and I'm stressed. I'm, I'm managing chaos effectively, but I'm stressed from that. But we never get to into the soil of ourselves. We never really do some deep diving of, you know, when I really think about why I'm not happy, this is what happened maybe like a couple months ago that I sort of glossed over and I just kept going and going and going because when we go through life, it's so easy to get so tunnel vision that we don't take the time to take a bird's eye view. Mm. Um, of of ourselves and we often look to all these external things as answers for for why we're feeling the way we are but but all those things are independent of self you know i've always been one of we have to be so intentional with self-care um i've had to speak that to myself i I, you know james would say this often be kind to yourself Mm. and we never really talk about what it was it mean to really be kind to your to yourself as you then take yourself and put on one hat and then present yourself an environment for that hat that you wear um and I, I guess how do you find the how do you find ways to create patience with yourself as you're going through the progression as you're going through healing as you're going through these intentional strategies I think one thing that's important is actual words that are compassionate. You know, one of the 
types of treatment that I like to use is called seeking safety. And there's a chapter in that book um, where it talks about being compassionate, compassionate self-talk. And it says something like, talk to yourself as if you're talking to a child. So with my daughter, I often have to remind myself, okay, she's a baby. She doesn't know that her screaming is making me crazy. <laughs> I need to say that to myself as well, right? I am stressed. I am working on myself. I am in the process of growing. I'm not a perfect person, right? Um we have to think of ourselves as a person who deserves care, just like we might think of a one-year-old baby as a person who deserves care. That's, that's deep. That's really deep because there's such a tenderness as, you know, when you think about talking to a child, we always present a tender version of ourselves because we understand a child hasn't necessarily gone through enough life to understand the world um, with, with a keen and discerning eye. So, you know, if, if a child says something completely off the wall of like, you know, <laughs> kids can often be really, really honest. Um, like I, I, I yes. <laughs> to where they say, oh, that person, they look funny and you have to be like, they just are really tired. Think about when you're when you're tired. When you wake up, you just don't feel like your best self just yet. They just need time to feel like their best self. So you have to sort of explain it in a way. And I, and I like that 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 idea of talk to yourself like you're a child. Like talk to your your five year old self. Mm-hmm. How would you explain how you're feeling? How would you dig into how you're feeling with your five year old five year old self, who's really the one that's not understanding everything that's going on in the external world. Because we often for, we often cast out childlike things or the child essence of ourselves that we lose that level of patience or understanding with ourselves. Mm. And I feel like I know I do this way too much. I had a I had my supervisor tell me this the other day that I didn't realize um, was impacting. Mm. He said, "You do a phenomenal job." But I feel like you put so much pressure on yourself to be that even when you're present in what you do and you do excellent work, you're not kind to yourself. Mm. In many ways, you put so much pressure on yourself to be so perfect to everything else. He said, perfection is actually for you. When you try to be perfect, that's for you to make yourself feel better, to make yourself feel fulfilled. That's not for anybody else. But we project that the perfection is to make everybody else happy, but really is for ourselves. He said, you have to learn how to, you'll still perform quality work being perfectly perfect. And you have to be okay with just being. It's okay. Let yourself just be perfectly imperfect and I had to sit and because that hit me I'm like brought me to tears because I had never felt that understood and I didn't realize I had misunderstood myself for so long Mm. 
in my performance of, I have to have everything right. I have to present everything to everybody, but really I'm doing that for myself. I didn't realize I was that selfish to make myself feel better by performing in a, such, a, such a way that I've sculpted of how I need to present who I am, that it has to be a specific image. And if I don't, then I fail everybody else, but really the core of it is that I feel like I'm failing myself. Definitely. So when we talk about being kind, it's like, I'm like, wow, I haven't been kind to myself. And that's frustrating. It's like, wow. I'm self-sabotaging. Why am I self-sabotaging? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I <clears throat> most if not all of us are our worst critic. And some theorists, some counseling theorists would say that that's something that we've learned, right? Because we haven't had that um unconditional positive regard is what we might call it um where someone just loved us regardless of who we were how we did whatever we, we were just loved we didn't have to get straight a's to be loved we didn't have to clean to be loved we just needed to be ourselves and those conditions we took that to heart and so as we grew up, we started putting those conditions on ourselves. Mm. I'm not worthy of love unless I'm the best at this. I'm not worthy of love unless I do, unless I'm perfect, unless I do things perfectly. Mm. It's something that you just said. It, it's being worthy of love. And you know, when you talk about, you know, love in that essence, love is such a powerful tool that we misuse in such a way or we misunderstand. Because we can't experience expand or expound love unless we give ourselves healthy love first. Mm -hmm. Love is the easiest gift to give, but you can give both unhealthy love, we can also give, but we, you know, we just never learn what it means to give healthy doses of love because of those conditions. It, it, it's, it's, and it's through every single essence of our relationships. Like, and it goes from when we're kids, you just, I mean, you just mentioned of like, for me to get praise from my parents, a positive praise. When I'm in school, I get positive praise and positive love if I get A's and B's, mainly A's. But if I get a C or below, I get negative love, you know? Um, mm. So there, there's just so much when you really think about the foundation of, of, of conditions. Um, it's like, how do we break that kind of bond? Because it really is it's bondage in a way. It's, it's mental and emotional bondage that we don't realize is at the foundation of how we become socially acclimated, um, how we acclimate ourselves internally. 
like when we go underneath the soil of who we are, it's it's challenging. And I, I think I feel like most people don't don't get to that point where they recognize that kind of bondage, that kind of condition that's that's been set. Um, almost like a, like if I were to go driving and I put my phone on do not disturb, it's a condition that I set of no phone calls can come to me. And we do that to ourselves where when we allow that condition to become the, the mark of permanence, we are really blocking out the blessing of, of using or seeing the fullness of ourselves. And we're allowing more dysfunction to operate to, to impact the way that we operate. Um, like a car can't function unless it has oil and all the necessary, you know, nutrients that it needs to be a hundred percent at its optimal peak. And I feel like we're not mm. operating optimally in ourselves because of those, you know, conditions that you mentioned. Yeah. And I think the the um, metaphor with the car is really helpful here. Right, because you know a vehicle needs regular checkups, right? Needs to have an oil change every however many miles. I don't know anything about cars, but <laughs> needs regular upkeep, right? Yeah, we need that too. I like to say to people, we are our most precious machine, our most precious tools, our body and our mind. So how can we? take our car for a checkup every 5,000 miles, but we're not doing the same for ourselves. I think something that's really important is, is regular periods of self-reflection, right? Looking into ourselves. And then um, when we do notice when we do notice that condition that we've placed on ourselves or that was placed on us that we've now uh, taken on, um, we've got options. Get help with that. Go to therapy. That can be some regular self-care that we do. Uh, create a better self-care plan for ourselves and engage in that and check in on that. Are you actually doing the things you said you're going to do? Are you actually you know, working on yourself or not. And if you're not, then do it, right? Make time for yourself. Um, know the way that we experience the love from others, the way that we want to be loved and provide that to ourselves. I think a lot about the five love languages, right? For me, I like uh, quality time. So, okay, let me give myself some quality time. Maybe I just want to go out and sit on the lawn and read a book. If that's what I need, then I'll give that to myself. As you said, we're the ones who need to start loving ourselves. Yeah, because you know, when we think about, I'm always thinking about like, especially with relationships when it comes to friends, when it comes to family, when it comes to partners, you know, when it comes to kids, like every single relationship or, or relational tie that we have, how do we not just set healthy boundaries, how do we communicate effectively? Because 
just like a child when when they're hurt oftentimes they're going to cry they're going to scream they're going to yell because they haven't yet learned how to clearly communicate this is what happened this is what hurt me this is what i need but more so we we get so used to expecting those relationships to figure out what we actually need when we haven't actually communicated this is what i need in this moment for you to be uh, to feel understood mm. or to feel more really to feel better and oftentimes when we don't feel understood we become recluse from from those relationships cuz like wow nobody's nobody's paying attention to what i need but we never check ourselves and i haven't I haven't clearly communicated what I or more so I don't I don't know what I So how 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 do people really set a healthy plan that is not just you know centered in self-care but mm. a communication plan to where things aren't going great or I don't feel mentally or emotionally phenomenal how do I communicate that Clearly, because I know I love the five love languages. Mine is quality time. Mine is words of words of affirmation. I think for most men, words of affirmation is actually a common <laughs> one. Really? Um, we, we are men. We are actually really fragile. <laughs> uh, we just haven't learned how to how to how to how to be emotionally vulnerable, or how to utilize the spaces where we can be emotionally vulnerable. And so, mm-hmm. words or affirmation they can either make us or break us. Because if you say, "Man, you ugly," dang it. You know, that is true. So, so how do <laughs> how do people set a healthy plan of self care, but then also a healthy practice of effective and clear communication when things are? I think one of the things that's really important to note is one of the things that you said, right? Uh, I don't even know what's wrong, right? Uh, that's one of the things that mental health therapy can do is, is give you awareness of things that are going on for you. I mean, it's strange, but you sometimes tell your symptoms to someone, um, and they immediately are like, oh, that's this, you know, this is what you need here. Um, and so getting some professional input can be really helpful. Um, I think, I think having a regular plan to check in with yourself is probably a good idea. I love the practice of mindfulness, Mm. mindful meditation, however that might look for a person um because it helps us to just be aware of what's going on in our body at the moment what's going on with me am i tired i find that i i i mindfully drive that's when i realize okay i'm tired and i feel terrible and i need to lay down and get some rest right um that doesn't that you think that's great as a practice, but it doesn't necessarily need to be an everyday practice. It could also be maybe that you check in with yourself 
you meditate once a month or something and you just look within yourself, what am I feeling right now? Then in terms of communication, um, one of the things that's really helpful is I statements. And then in order for an I statement about how you feel to be effective, having a, a list actually of feeling words that you can use, because I think a lot of us are kind of stuck on happy, sad, angry, and there is a plethora of emotions and emotion words that we just don't, just doesn't come to mind, you know, maybe for a person who's like a, you know, literature, literary (laughs) scholar. Wait, wait, call me out now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for you. (laughs) but for me I'm like how do I feel I don't know you know and so having a feeling chart which really you can look up on Google so easy to find can be really helpful to help you identify what the emotion is that you're feeling it shows you um, uh, by the underlying emotion like maybe it is anger but it's frustration specifically you know Mm, maybe it's rage it's, it's like you, you can better illustrate the potency of where things are um, to where it can better clearly, you know, illustrate how you're, how you're feeling inside or better describe it in a way that somebody can better hear. Exactly. Now, when people do that, do you feel like you should express that in the moment or or allow a little bit of time for you to self-reflect first before communicating those kind of things because oftentimes there's always been such a mixed message about how do we communicate our emotions and I've always heard that or always learned that oftentimes when we do anything when our emotions are high it never fixes the core of what needs to be fixed it just Mm. creates more dysfunction it deepens it deepens wounds and it adds un, unintended benefits, well, unintended, I won't say benefits, but repercussions that we never really intended, but it help, it really avoids what the solution needs to be. That makes sense. That's true. I think it depends. I think it depends. I mean, it depends on how you, how you naturally communicate and it depends on how that other person understands, mm-hmm. right? So, if I'm talking to a person who is fully calm and open to what I have to say, and I say something out of anger, they potentially will understand and it won't cause a problem, right? The issue of course is that that's what we can't control. We can't control what that other person is going to say or how they're gonna understand what we communicate to them. So so then it really depends on the person, the individual and how we choose to communicate. If I know that in the moment when I'm in a hot moment, I need to cool down for 15 minutes and it's so helpful to give an actual time, right? Hold on, I need 10 minutes, hold on, I need an hour as opposed to, we'll come back to this later that's frustrating, right? Better to say, this is, this is a time frame, and then check in after that time frame has ended, right? 
if I know I need that cooldown, I should take that cooldown. Mm. Right? If you know that you are able to communicate when you're in a hot moment, if if that works for you, then that works for you. So then let's let's flip it. So for the person that, you know, okay, we already know the side of somebody is communicating how they're feeling or where they are mentally and emotionally, especially when things aren't going great. How does somebody who is the receiving part, how do they either prepare themselves or be an active participant in that moment with the individual who needs to be heard? You know, I saw a really good visualization of this exact type of communication on, on a TikTok, actually, <laughs> um, where the, the person on the receiving end of that communication reflects, right? Does something like a, called a reflective statement, reflection statement, right? So I come to you and I say, I feel so enraged by what you did last week or whatever. And you say, okay, what I'm hearing is that you are extremely angry about what happened last week, right? You listen and you let me know that you listened and you heard what I said before you jump in with how it makes you feel that I just said that to you. It's so easy to get defensive. It's like, whoa, whoa, hold, hold up. You coming at me like, I what? This is out the blue, exactly. you know, because it's so easy. We naturally, when, we're be, when we feel like we're being attacked, it's easy for us to also feel really shrink back and then latch back. We're, we're almost like a rattlesnake. It's like, okay, hold up, hold up. Mm. I know we cool and all, but this I do not appreciate because now I feel offended. So I'm going to have to defend myself because you're calling me out my name. You're calling me out of my character. And I don't feel, I don't feel right about this. Okay, you're doing the most. And I think, especially the black community, we, culturally, we also teach that um, way yeah. too often. But just society, socially in America, we teach that. As people, we teach that. Uh, and, and it makes it Absolutely. hard to have those authentic atmospheres of healing communication for both to come to a good mutual understanding. And it often destroys relationships or it makes, makes it hard for relationships to really grow from where they are. Yes, I hear that so much. <clears throat> you know, that, for example, a person who goes to their, you know, parent who was really neglectful when they were growing up, right? And they that person says, hey, you know, I think we should do family therapy. Wouldn't that be helpful? Oh, <laughs> no, that parent then feels attacked, right? So now we can't have any healing in this family relationship. You know, we're seeking to, to improve this relationship, right? A defensiveness is common, right? I think we all do it. Yeah. But it's not helpful. It's not effective, right? In that moment, it's more effective to actually have empathy for that person, Right. That's why it's helpful to do the reflection. Okay. I heard you. What you said was you need this from me. Then you can decide for yourself as that receiving person. Am I going to, am I going to provide what this person is asking me to provide? 
if we're talking about somebody you care about and they're asking you for something that you can give, then give it. I mean, if you hurt someone, you don't defend yourself for hurting them. You don't say that they really weren't hurt. Yeah, because that, that's it's literally like saying, it's the same thing of like, you know, just get over it. You'll be okay. That didn't hurt you that much. That's almost like, it's not, it's not acknowledging whether it was intentional. Like, I don't think, I think most people don't intentionally ever hurt anybody or do something of malice. Um, it, it's really a more of a subconscious thing that happens. But right. when you just need to be heard, in your mind, I know I felt this before um, in interactions as you know, I've had it throughout, even within my own family of like, but I didn't mean you should know me better than that. I know I would never do anything to hurt you, but I've had to like take the step back of like, okay, I think they know that. If they don't under, if, there's no way that they wouldn't know that from me because I'm consistent with that. But I need to pause and just hear them out. Let them release what's what they've been holding on to because obviously it's messing with them. And if I can't allow them to, to let me know, to be open with me, then how can I expect the same thing from them to be open for, for, you know, for when I need to say, hey, this is what, this is how I was impacted. And my expectation is like, if I'm gonna talk to you about something, doing others you'd like them to do unto you. You know, you wanna have that mutual kind of component, but I really think the defensiveness really does come from of like, hold on, the nature, how I view our relationship, you should know I would never mean to hurt you. That's just never my intention. That's why I feel defensive now because it's mm -hmm. like, wow, you don't really, I feel like you don't really know me because you're now questioning my intentions behind that. That was never intended. So now I'm questioning. Doesn't even, doesn't even come into play, right? Yeah. It's still hurtful. Exactly. Maybe you didn't mean to be hurtful. And you're right. Most of the time we know that. We know that person didn't mean to hurt us. You know, and usually we know if they did mean to hurt us. Yeah, that, that those things are really, right? <laughs> are really blatant. We can tell normally. <laughs> normally. And I mean, in those moments where the person didn't mean to, it doesn't matter because it hurts anyway. Yeah. And you know, I sometimes think about, it also goes to when we're also analyzing those kind of interactions, sometimes we lose a sense of trust with ourselves, especially when we've been through so much of, I can't trust other people's intentions because I don't trust my judgment about other people's intentions. Because especially when I see, see the same pattern coming every single time in, in a certain scenario, whether it's if somebody raises their voice at me, or if someone, um, I tell somebody, hey, don't forget this, put this in your calendar, and it keeps happening. And every other, every relation, they, same, everybody keeps forgetting things. Now I feel like, okay, I have all these people that I trust would remember something that's important to me but everybody seems to be letting me down now I don't know 
if I'm good at assessing if people are trustworthy or really if I trust myself that I can lean on people, or I can rely on other people. So now my defensive mechanism is, okay, you know, I'm just gonna have to do it all on my own. I just won't tell anybody what's, what's going on. I'm just gonna do and just, I'm gonna do me. You know, it is what it is. And I feel like, as you talked about, like there's layers to, to self, there's layers to identity that we sometimes don't take the time and the intentional check-in with ourselves of, we have all this baggage that we're carrying and we're using that as our reference point for how we are to be present in the present moment. But also we use that baggage to make an assessment of where we are. And oftentimes it creates a certain paralysis within ourselves um, or unhealthy relationship that we have with ourselves in regards to trust, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think um, the baggage that we carry definitely impacts everything, everything that we, I mean, we bring it with us, right? We bring it everywhere. And yeah, it definitely makes it difficult for us to actually assess what's happening accurately yeah reviewing it through this lens the lens of past experience past experience and present experience aren't the same they're two different experiences and we and so you know doing that work of healing that injury from the past is so important so that we can kind of we're able to step back from the past. Sometimes the past is, sometimes we look through the past lens and we see the present and it really are, they really are the same or similar at least. Similar enough that using the past is gonna help us protect ourselves in the future. Absolutely. Sometimes using the past is hindering us in the future. And we need to be able to know the difference. And that's hard. That, that, that's so, so hard. Um, because especially when we get to a point where things are going great and there's, it seems like there's hope and then the same pattern happens again after some time, it almost like everything in between where we were before to where we are now, it's like all that gets erased and we're back at square one. In fact, we're a couple steps behind square one. Mm. And we sort of become like a turtle of like, yeah, I just don't know what to do anymore. I just don't, you know, everything that I've been doing doesn't work because I thought things were going great. I thought thing, things are, I thought that I've learned from those past components. I thought, you know, where I am now, where I was, was the best, but this proved it wasn't. So I don't trust myself to make it, to make good discernment. All the things that I did to get to that point now I question if those were even effective. And I feel like that's what often pushes people away from therapy too. Of they're like, if things don't go the way they intend, like we, we associate, okay, now if I'm gonna be intentional about this plan, my thought is that now going forward, things should be perfect. Things should be fixed. 
I have my solution. So it there's nothing should go wrong. Mm. And we block out when things do go wrong that are counter to the narrative that we write around a solution. We then make every solution that we were using as just now, no, forget therapy, I'm not doing that anymore because it didn't work. I thought it was great. The, the outcome that I thought was gonna come from that, it's not happening, you know? And we have to sometimes learn how to disassociate a perceived outcome from a healthy solution and being, again, the kind and the patient, having being kind to ourselves, also being patient with the process. We, we really aren't patient with the process that it took X amount of years to cultivate the foundation. It's gonna take X amount of years to unravel and reorganize and redesign and rebuild. Like I look at, okay, it took 29 years to build Nick Williams into who he is. And that includes all the baggage. That includes the good things and mm. the bad things. So if I'm trying to find healing in the areas where there are bad things, there are bad experiences or traumatic experiences, it's gonna take 29, 29 years of intentional work where there's gonna be some pitfalls, where there's gonna be moments of self-doubt, but there's also gonna be, you know, great things happen. There's gonna be moments of elevation, moments of celebration, but falling in love with the process of becoming, it's gonna take 29 years to, to do that. It doesn't happen after a year of therapy. It doesn't happen after two years of, of intentional, you know, writing in my journal and having those daily check-ins or monthly or weekly, whatever frequency, it, it's gonna take, you have to fall in love with the process of becoming and giving the grace that you need in that process. And also mm -hmm. giving the things that you're doing the grace they need to be able to help you. Because it's not really intended to fix you. It's, just, it's intended to give you the tools in the awareness of how can I utilize and maximize the tools that I now have access to. Mm -hmm. And just, just take one step at a time. Um, not taking huge leaps, but really focusing on the step that I take so that I get a small win for today. Okay, tomorrow, let me now get my, my next one. Okay, oh shoot, pitfall. Okay, I learned, I assessed. Don't do that piece again, don't step on the rock, avoid the rock, okay, let's keep going kind of thing. Yes, I think something that's so important relating to what you just said is um, the fact that we all have this skewed idea about what recovery should look like um the recovery being what we do moving forward after we work on the pain and we try to move into the future i think my experience in substance use counseling is really helpful in my understanding of this because especially in that area people believe that, okay, now that I'm in treatment, I should never want to use drugs or alcohol again. I just shouldn't even have the thought of it. If somebody's drinking around me, I shouldn't feel anything and I'll be good to go. Great. Right. That's not true. <laughs> not <at all. laughs> no, I mean, the in the actual definition of recovery right if we're talking about the actual diagnostic and statistical manual of mental health disorders the definition of recovery 
is that yes, you will still have you will still be triggered. You will still have uh, urges, mm-hmm. but you won't act on them. Right. I think another thing that's extremely important here, and also comes from this idea of substance use, is lapse versus relapse. Right. Relapse is where you go all the way back to square one. For some reason, when we stumble, we think we're relapsing, but we're not actually going back to square one. All that work, as you mentioned, did get us somewhere. Maybe it didn't get us to where we wanted to be. That doesn't mean it wasn't helpful. That doesn't mean we didn't learn anything. That doesn't mean we're going back to square one. It's a lapse in our recovery. And when we get past that lapse, we can go back to recovery. You know? That's deep. Ooh, that's so deep, <laughs> you know? And, and, and that's, that's, again, it's like just having the rule of, this is why it's so important to just give yourself grace, you know? Uh, Grace to fail, grace to succeed. It's easier to give yourself the grace to succeed, but it's hard to give yourself the grace to fail because Mm. we just want to be better. We want to be our best selves. We want to be our whole selves because that's that's the image that we want to present to the world. But when we can't show up as the perfect version or the perfect image that we have of ourselves, it's debilitating. Mm. And it's frustrating. Um, and it's hard to explain that frustration because everybody that we want to talk to about it, our perception is that they won't understand it, but also the people that are that we that we try to speak to, they're also performing at the same time with a certain level of strength that does not reflect their truth as much. Um, well, they, can, they actually do understand that feeling, but they don't want you to perceive them as weak. So they have to put on a front mm. of, oh, you'll be, you know, it'll be fine. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Like, I always tell people, like, don't look at all my successes. You don't understand the things I've had to go through, the kind of work that I've had to do, and the kind of pitfalls that I constantly have. Like, most people, they don't understand how much I battle depression. They don't understand how much most people actually do have episodes of valley depression. Everybody just find way, finds ways to heal or cope um, in different, different methods or find different mechanisms or outlets to do so. And, you know, I always just, you know, want people to just understand I'm a work in progress. Everybody is a work in progress. And when you really understand that, is where we can find sort of commonality of, wow, you're perfectly imperfect, I'm perfectly imperfect. Cool, I support you in your journey. Whether you fall, whether you succeed, I support you, I believe in you. And the same thing as we say that to ourselves. So I know we're, we're, we're almost out of time. Um, one last question, what is one important thing you want the audience to remember one one lasting thought 
that you feel like can always help somebody as they go through the battle with, you know, mental health, with emotional, uh, with emotional health to become their whole self? I think the thing I would want to leave people with is Mm. so much oh (laughs) (laughs) I guess I want to go back to to that the last thing that I was just talking about that you know recovery from mental health issues recovery from trauma recovery from whatever barriers have gotten in your way that recovery journey is a bumpy one. You know, it's not this the straight road straight to success. You know, it's gonna have twists and turns and that's okay. That's okay as long as we're aware of what those twists and turns look like and we seek out the type of support that's most helpful to us in those moments. Whether that be going to therapy, whether that be going back to church, whether that be talking to a family member or a friend, whatever that might look like, as long as we actually seek that out and make a practice of that, we'll continue on that recovery journey. Well said, well said. Wow. So. Thank you so much, Akia. This was... Thank you. You know, we hope everybody really enjoyed this episode um, and found either, you know, continued healing, beginning to healing, or just something to add into your toolbox to help you or something you can share with friends or family to help them in their process. Um, Definitely, we will put Zakia's information in the bio. Please follow her and her page. She's doing phenomenal work. Um, I guarantee if you have questions, she can definitely be able to help give you whatever advice that can help you in your process or resources to guide you to. Um, But definitely, as always, thank you for joining in our community um, of talking about such an important topic. I promise you we will be talking about this again. Um, But stay tuned, BKC family. We love you. We appreciate you. And we are here with you. And love, peace, and harmony. Take it easy. Check it out next time on BKC or Black Kings Connect podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Black Kings Connect Podcast. We hope that you took something away from this episode that will help you grow. We hope that you learned something new so that now you know. We hope that you found a voice that's been hidden within, and we encourage you to take this conversation further into your own circles so that we can all win. Give us a shout out on our social media platforms and let us know your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn at BK Connect Podcast or by simply typing in Black Kings Connect Podcast in the search bar. Make sure to turn on the notifications so you are always notified whenever we drop an episode. We will be dropping an episode every other week on Thursdays. We are cultivating this space as a place to connect, empower, and uplift, and we hope that you hear the crown and stay locked in with us for the next episode. Always know that if you stay royal, we'll stay loyal. Welcome to the BKC family. Until next time, on Black Kings Connect Podcast, peace.